edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. Today, I've got a special guest, David Young. I had the privilege of working with him when he worked for the Welsh Institute of Sport, and he's now residing in Australia. So it's good to have you on, David. That's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you've obviously now moved to Australia. Can you explain to the listeners uh, what do you actually do and where you are now working? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm a senior strength and conditioning coach at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. I'm in Sydney. Uh, we're at the Olympic Park here. Um, I've been working here for seven years now. And I currently sort of provide strength and conditioning services for our um, rowing and cycling programs. And then we talked about it briefly off air. Can you explain to the guys how you got into strength and conditioning and obviously your background before that? Yeah, well, um, I um, went to university, as most people, as a lot of people do, um, did a sports science degree, completed that in 1999. Um, and then spent a few years fitness instruction, personal training uh, in Notting Hill, in a health club in Notting Hill. And then from there, I um, went to study the master's at Sydney University here, which is when I first came over. Um, and whilst I was doing the master's here, I started getting into strength and conditioning a little bit, spent some time with some of the rugby league clubs here and a basketball team, started developing sort of uh, some skills, but also a real interest in the area. And then on returning to the UK, I... Um, was after another year or so fitness instruction, I got my first break with a role with the Sports Council for Wales at the time. Um, that was in 2004. I managed to get an internship there, um, which was also linked in with the UK Sports Practitioner Development Programme at the time, which was a, a new programme set up by UK Sports to develop British talent. Um, and I, I, I was at Sports Council for Wales for two years before moving on to the English Institute of Sport at Bisham Abbey. But we also crossed paths a bit, James. Um, I was there from what 2006 to 2009, and that was when I moved to Australia. Yeah. And obviously, we crossed paths. We had the pr- privilege of working together when we were both in South Wales. What was I like to work as an athlete? Oh, um, you can be honest here. Oh, really? <laughs> well, um, well, what I remember because this was would have been back in about 2005, I reckon. It was a long time ago. It's about um, 10 years, yeah. Yeah, so um, my main memories were that you'd just um, pretty much come across from swimming and taken up rowing at the time. Not correct? Yeah, that's correct. You, yeah, yeah, and you were quite young, so it was a. I remember just being the challenge being a little bit of an education piece, trying to make sure you're doing the exercises right and following their program properly and trying to engage the coach, who was Chad King at the time. Um, it just get you training and doing the things, learning about training and what sort of, uh, what you needed to do to become an elite athlete at the time. So, yeah, it was a completely different sport for you, wasn't it, I think? Well, it was probably different. It was kind of going from, at the time, going from, obviously, to explain, but from my my background, it was going from development, a development program in swimming to moving yeah. over to that performance side of, into rowing, so it was, Probably a little bit of a learning curve for me, obviously. The demands are 
a lot greater on you. Obviously, you haven't got time to develop. You need to be able to perform then and there. So it's probably I was chucked in the deep end to a little, to a little, in it, a little bit. And you also you travelled in from Swansea as well, weren't you? From what I remember. Yep. Yeah. So oh, that was we didn't, that was yeah. a sacrifice I had to do. Obviously, I think there's a little bit in place down at the university from the sports side side of things. But obviously, yeah. to explain to the listeners, in Wales, the predominantly where the elite level of sport is in Wales, everything is centred around Cardiff. So obviously, if you need something, you've got to go to the, the, the capital. So it's a sacrifice I had to make. It wasn't yeah. every day, so it wasn't the end of the world. So. I would have been happier if it was every day, from what I remember. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just getting you to a position where you sort of were a bit better trained, and you could go and sort of deliver for Britain when you were going to compete at Worlds and stuff. It was definitely. It was probably my initial, probably the first. I'd say proper time I actually went full in on strength and conditioning because in the past it would be. How would I say it? Um, I probably didn't see the correlation between strength and conditioning and the sport, whereas I now probably look back at it and say, well, you're a bit stupid because obviously there's so many different avenues to help in the sport, be it prehab, uh, stopping you getting injuries. Yeah. A lot as long as, as well as the strength element and getting yourself more conditioned. So it's kind of looking back at it. Is I was probably as a younger athlete a little bit naive. Yeah, and I think a sport like um, rowing, especially para rowing, it's not. It's hard for Paralympic athletes to do the same sort of volume of training in that sport because it's so stressful and you're. You're backloading, and because you're just really using your your trunk and your arms, so it's almost like you have to find other ways to improve performance. And obviously, strength's a component of that performance in rowing, um, and probably is more important for the paras in many ways. And it's obviously important for able-bodied rowers as well. But yeah, I suppose yeah, that was part of the learning curve. Well, it's a good, probably a good wake-up call as well. Obviously, it's. At the end of the day, especially as I look at it now, if I don't perform, especially I'm probably more humble now, uh, not only yourself or any strength and conditioning jobs on the line, because obviously if I'm not performing, and yeah. one element would be, is it because of the training? So it's coming back on you. So if I look at it in kind of a full circle... I could cost you your job because obviously I'm not putting every effort into the training that I could yeah. be, and in times that probably happened with some athletes. I won't, I won't name them, but it's it's I've had a probably like I don't know if it happened a few times, but I probably had a kick up the back. So I know I know in the in the ten year career I had a few kick up the ass. This is for <laughs> some strength and conditioning because obviously. One I definitely had in volleyball. She kind of pulled me aside and said, 
well, because obviously I was a lot stronger than some of the guys within the team, she said, well, there's no point being stronger than than them because you don't have to try. So it's like you need to be pushing pushing yourself to get the best out of you. So it's kind of... It was probably the kick up the ass I needed because I was probably, to be honest, probably, I don't know, working at... Trying to be gen, probably be a little bit generous. Uh, we'll say maybe seventy percent of my of my capacity, and then yeah. I'm not really getting anything out of the session because I don't really need to try to to work yeah. that hard. So it was like, well, yeah, yeah, I can see where you're coming from straight away, and I own up. Yeah, I'm not working as hard as I can, and then from then on in, it's like, well. I, it's kind of like two or three of us were of the same level. Then obviously it comes more. That session is more competitive because obviously I'm stepping my game up. And what one of the guys I trained with, what was he about? About a hundred kilos. So obviously when we we're doing testing, if I'm lifting the same weight, because I think for one example it was the it was either the bench press or the incline bench press. And he dropped out uh, the set before, and the coach asked me, oh, do you want to go up weight, James? I did it. And he said, oh, I'm coming back in now, obviously. So it's making it, because he doesn't want to lose to somebody that weighs less. It's made, him more, it's made it more competitive. So it's kind of brought a, com- uh, a comp- competition element into the, se- into the session. So it was, it probably brought a different drive to me, and then that's probably, if I'm honest, I've always, obviously, from after working from with you, I've mm. always loved that component of this, of whatever sport it was, be it, or then by then, uh, rowing or volleyball. I love, I love the strength and conditioning side of it. I'd rather do that any old day than any of the other, any of the other training I had to do. But then that's probably because I, I kind of enjoyed. Chucking weights around, and then okay, there'll be t- there'll be times throughout the career. I don't know. They're probably they're probably minute, very minute days when there wasn't. But somebody have to either motivate me. But most of the time, I'd be on it, and that's the session. Okay, I've got this one to do. Whatever time of the day it was, I'm on it. Whereas the other ones, it'd be especially in the winter. It's <laughs> oh. It's X amount because obviously swimming was six in the morning. It's like, oh, I've got to get out of bed at this time. It's cold. I don't want to. But then, on the flip side, how you look at it, especially at elite level, you've got to think of it on the days that you can't be bothered or you're not feeling quite up to it. You kind of flip it like a switch on in your head, well, if I don't do it, there's somebody else somewhere in the world that's doing it. So obviously when the athletes say they don't take Christmas Day or, uh, Christmas off, it's probably them using that psychology of if I don't do it, somebody either will be doing it or might, well, we'll say they might be doing it or they probably will be doing it. So if I don't do it, I've already lost one, well, for example, Christmas Day, say one day out of the year. So they generally look at it that way. Yeah. So from that perspective, I don't miss I don't miss that level at all because I can I quite happily 
doing the PT side of it and giving people the training. It's a little bit, it's uh, a lot of cut some of the clients have said I'm a bit of a masochist, but it's like, well, I've been in that same position with, with yourself and other strength and conditioning coaches, but I probably, I want to do it because I want to better myself to be able to be better on the world, say. So it's, I can see where they're coming from, but then there are probably some clients. I've had what one or two have been similar, and those are probably it's like, okay, you're a similar mindset as I used to be. This is easy to, to write because you want to put in the work, you want to be beasted in, in the words, so it's easy. But other than that, it, it's been pretty good. So, more less about me, a little bit more about, about you. So, you, we were okay. talking a little bit off air about how. You were saying the Australian system is set up more in a way, a little bit differently to the say. Obviously, we use the UK as an example. Can you explain to people how the two systems differ? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, the the main difference is the the federal and state system we have in Australia. So there's funding coming from different sort of pots for different things. So we have a uh, as as I said earlier, I work for the New South Wales Institute of Sport, which is obviously the sports science provider for um, the state of New South Wales. And there's the Queensland Academy of Sport, Victorian Institute of Sport, and the other institutes in the other part of the country. So they're funded directly by by their state governments, and also some maybe some private sponsorship, depending on the in, um, the institute and also then the, the sports themselves, the national governing bodies or the NSOs as we call them here, would provide money to fund. So it, it's very different. And then you've got the federal funding that goes into the, um, the Australian Sports Commission and the Australian Institute of Sport. So one thing we're trying to work on a lot in Australia is working better as a, even though we're all different organisations, trying to work better as a, a, a sort of, I guess, what, a sports science or National Institute Network is what we refer to ourselves. So work better as an institute network, even though we're funded from different pots of money from different places. So it can be challenging. We we um we have basically have different bosses everyone across the country. So yeah. Without without being too PC, do you believe that that system kind of holds Australia back from performing as well as they can on the world stage? Um, so obviously I worked for the English Institute of Sport for three years, so that was a it's a lot more straightforward a system and a simple system. Um, and obviously, like I said here, it's a lot more complex, but it's not going to change anytime soon. This is a political system that's been in the country for since day dot, or what day dot? So since the English come over here, or the Brits come over here originally. So um, it's not going to change. So I think. Um, like I said, sure, there's a lot of smart people in Canberra and around the country and different institutes have all got some common goals in, in their mind. And I, I think if people are smart and we make some sacrifices in some areas and work together, I do think it can be successful. But we, as people know, we, we've got a bit of a way to go. So let's make that work. And obviously we're talking a little bit off air. Obviously the Australians kind of started the ball rolling with all this sports science technology and we were kind of saying that they kind of I wouldn't say peaked in Sydney 
but they kind of did very, very well, and they've kind of, in a way, tailed off the last couple Olympiads. Is it more, I think, as you said off air, is it a case of all the other countries have caught up, or do you believe a little bit that the Australians are stuck in their ways with obviously a system they set up, what was it, 40 years ago now? Yeah, so um, I mean, I think it's a bit like UK. Obviously, UK had a, a disastrous, or Britain had a disastrous games in Atlanta in what '96, and that was set, set the ball rolling for the lottery funding. And off the back of that, the institutes were set up in the early 2000s, and it's it's been pretty solid progress since then. Um, Australia had a, a shocker at the Montreal Games in 1976. Um, that led to the setting up of the Australian Institute of Sport at that time and the massive sort of sports science sort of development in Australia, probably ahead of the rest of the world. Um, also then, in, obviously in 2000, Sydney had the Games, so there was a massive influx in funding and as we'll read all the time, the medals are often a direct sort of, sort of directly proportional to the amount of funding that's put in. Um, so as a result, they performed very well in Sydney as well. And I think don't think you can you you obviously compete in the home games, but I don't think you can underestimate the sort of the the extra sort of bit of desire in training day in day out when you're competing in front of a your home audience. I mean, it must be it must be a massive stimulus for those last few years of training. Oh, it definitely makes uh, it, e- it definitely makes it easier to to train. Obviously, what was it? Loads of athletes were coming out of retirement. People was possibly lengthening their careers to get the chance to compete at home. Um, if I look at it, in a way, that was definitely I wasn't I wasn't going to either retire. Or I was going to try and make it because obviously they probably don't come round in in your lifetime very often. And if you and if you had the opportunity to get you probably you probably get one. If you got more than that, you'd be very very lucky. So to to kind of put it put it into context, obviously from the Paralympic point of view, obviously um, oh what's his name the double amputee that beat Oscar Pistorius, Alan Oliveira. Obviously he had home games, uh, well just gone, yeah. and he underperformed massively. Uh, didn't make out the. He didn't even, didn't even make a final, and he was uh, re- the reigning Paralympic champion. So, talking to some of the athletes off air, they and obviously some other ones, uh, he ballooned up. So he's kind of lost the opportunity to compete at home, and then quote unquote, possibly if he'd won there, he'd be set up for life, and then probably. Yeah wouldn't have to do anything the rest of his life and now probably in my opinion it's a bit probably stupid and naive he's kind of gone from being well around the world he was a poster boy for Paralympic sport to he probably I won't say he'd probably be a nobody but he people will forget about him now because obviously oh you didn't do anything in Rio and you're kind of on the on the slide now, so it's kind of why would you lose motivate? Because a lot of the athletes were saying he was unmotivated. I'm thinking, from my yeah. perspective, there's something wrong with you if you can't motivate yourself for a home games. Because 
you 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 get a compete in front of predominantly the, your friends and family that might not be able to travel halfway around the world, for example, to a games. So you so you think more of your family can come see you. Okay, the weight to a certain extent. If you well, in his case, it would be probably heavily on him because it's expected to him to deliver to deliver so obviously but that can go twofold it can either work for you or against you so it's how you use it or or how you inter you interpret it obviously a lot of the brazilian athletes did all right whereas with london we probably especially more so on the olympic side a lot of the sports overachieved because of that home support the paralympics Probably here and there, some of the athletes, but predominantly the ones that medaled, you could probably, I won't say they were nailed on to medal, but they were, they would probably say they were expected to get a medal of some colour. And then, yeah. obviously, for both teams to now go on, go on over the last couple of weeks to go beat that tally, it's quite incredible. Okay. This might be PC on PC a little bit. I think, in my opinion, the Olympic side of it probably did a little bit better because the Russians weren't there. But I don't, I don't know if you'd agree or not. Possibly. Yeah. I, can only, I can only think of one medal that it was definite. Obviously, the women's four by one. That's the only medal I could say for def. Well, okay, there are. The, the exceptions with if somebody drops the baton or they don't get the baton round, okay, then they might the Russians might have got disqualified, but generally the Russians medal in that event. So you're yeah. thinking, well, that's one. But then there was medals coming from, yeah. what was it, obscure ones that we've never medaled before. But it's it can, hap- it can happen in a, in a game. So it's kind of, you can't point solely, well, this is, why Britain has done as well. It's probably one of the factors, and then might it might be a little one in the Paralympics because obviously the Russians bring a massive team, but it's without breaking it down and looking sport by sport and really analysing it, you can't really say for sure, well, Britain finished higher or... We can't, oh, we yeah. just won't say Britain. We'll say probably loads of countries picked up medals where the Russians would have would have probably got got something. So everybody's probably contributed from them partially being banned at the Olympics or totally being banned at it. Yeah. So that's one question I might move on to. What is from your your standpoint from the strength and the conditioning? What is your opinion on, say, the Russian state doping and what impacts oh. that can have on a strength? Because obviously, they're able to, sh- obviously, by taking whatever substance it may be, it's going to improve their performance across the board. Yeah, well, multiple things. I'm not, I'm by no means an expert in this area, but, um, Obviously, they've got a lot of. It seems that they've got quite a systematic approach, which has been state funded. Um, 
and they're gaining benefits off that and they're going to have a lot of smart scientists in there we've seen it across a wide range of sports over the years um uh, obviously cycling's your your most obvious one but i see i was reading the article the other day about weightlifting a guy who came ninth at london has just been awarded the bronze medal from that meet and he's currently serving currently serving a drugs ban that's how many people have been banned and he's serving a drug ban at the moment so Unfortunately, it's something that goes on in our, uh, our world, our industry. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm not an expert, but they can work in many ways, the, all these different sort of um, products they use. But I think one of the main areas, they just help most with the recovery. They allow people to do more and more training and more and more high-intensity work, and they recover quicker, and then they can do more. Um, so that's one area that I think is a massive benefit. And... I personally was disappointed that the IOC didn't put a blanket ban out, but um, that's what they chose to do. But um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's some clean athletes that have missed out, and that, that's disappointing. But when a, a national system sort of pretty much sponsors such, such activities, it's not it's just not good for sport on the whole. Do you do you believe from that point that they kind of passed the buck down to the oh how would you say it? The oh, what they called um, oh, like the the not national governing bodies, but the governing bodies within oh. the sport passing the buck, obviously passing the buck off to let them review make to make yeah. the decision instead of kind of having the balls to do it. So I well, I I think so, but look, I, I'm no. Um sports administrator I don't know what the legal implications of doing that was um, it would have been a quite a controversial move as well so I'm sure the, the members of the OIC had their reasons for taking that decision but I thought it was a bit of a shame and the IPC took a different approach obviously so I think they had well I think they had a little bit more time because I think they went back to the that commission to look at it more in depth, and I think it was from what I've read, it looks like it was conclusive evidence as to it was state funded doping. So it's kind of it's there's no grey area. That was black and was black and white. Obviously, that's it's yeah. if it's state funded that's state funded cheating so they, know, they know exactly okay there'll be there'll be some athletes that as you say will be clean but the system is corrupt so you can't trust anything that's coming out of them obviously them cheating at their own games is probably even worse yeah and uh, I, I mean I don't know like I said with that weightlifting um, article I read the other day I feel that like the ten year, the fact they can now test samples for ten years on, I think slowly will be sort of catching more and more people out, and I think it will impact. Um, it will, will hopefully work, and hopefully it'll be positive for have clean sport in the future because I, I think that's what most people want. No, but it's still difficult because obviously, if somebody wants to cheat, that science is at least one year ahead of the science to catch them. Yeah, so it's a nev- never-ending, uh, as you say, um, never-ending task because they're always playing catch-up. Yeah, yeah, no, not a not a good area of our industry to discuss and wallow on too much. <laughs> so 
I think we'll wrap it up there, David. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, James. If if anybody wanted to get in contact with you for whatever reason to ask you questions to do with strength and condition, what is the best form of best way to get in contact with you on social media? Yeah, um, I've got a LinkedIn account. Probably the I try and keep my professional stuff through LinkedIn. Um, yeah, uh, find me on there probably. Okay. All right, yeah. then. So thanks, thanks again for coming on the show, and it was good to catch up with you. Yeah, good to see you again. What was it? Well, was it Bishram would have been? You said you left the UK in two thousand eight. Two thousand nine, but you, were you still training then? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, that would be my last year with Rowan. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still, still over five years. So it's good to good to yeah. c- catch up. Yep. Yeah. And um, all the best with your business, James, and everything else. Thank you very much. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review, as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety, and it will be more visible in future to others, and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Oh, my God.